0: Welcome to the Data Savvy Teacher Podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. This podcast is for anyone who has a role in education and wants to learn how to improve their data using skills. As an educator, you're probably also a lifelong learner. So thanks for making this podcast part of your personal growth. And if you enjoy what you hear, please give it a rating on iTunes or share it with others. This helps more listeners like you find this resource as well. All right, let's get started with today's content. Today, we are continuing our mini series on how to write good test questions. In episode five, we covered guidelines for multiple choice items. And multiple choice items are by far the most commonly used traditional test item. But there are other ways we can ask questions on traditional tests. And there are some good guidelines for how to do this properly. Let's start with true and false items. Using a true-false item is a good alternative if you find yourself struggling to create a quality multiple-choice items with enough good distractors. Changing that to a true-false question might just be your solution. A true-false question allows you to just generate one statement and two choices. Is the statement correct or incorrect? It seems simple enough, doesn't it? But I have come across some really ineffective true or false items. The first mistake is to use clue words like always, never, and only. A true or false item that states an absolute is typically false, and it's usually a clue to the students that it's not correct. So guideline number one is not to use absolutes. The second guideline is to avoid negatives. And we covered this in the multiple choice item writing episode, but this is especially important with true false questions. When asking a student to determine if a statement is true or false, adding in a not creates a layer of complexity that is unnecessary. If you have true false items written on your assessments, just take the not out and switch the answer. Your students will thank you for your clarity. The third guideline, and this is one of those general item writing rules, but it bears repeating, is that there should only be one concept asked in each true false question. It can be very easy to try to make a true false question more rigorous and instead make it too hard to actually answer because it's addressing multiple concepts. Here's an example of a true false question with more than one concept True or false? Classroom data should be used to improve instruction and teacher relationships. The problem with that statement is the word and. There are two concepts. Classroom data should be used to improve instruction is one concept, but classroom data should be used to improve teacher relationships is a completely different concept. It could be easily argued that part of the statement is false and part of it is true, and that makes for a terrible true-false question. The question needs to be one concept that is either entirely true or entirely false. And then finally, When you've created your set of true-false questions, look over them and make sure you've got a pretty equal amount of true items versus false items. Make sure the true items aren't all really long and the false aren't all really short or vice versa. These are other subtle clues that item writers can leave if they aren't being careful. Okay, so that takes us through the true-false guidelines. But what about some other traditional test items? Have you ever used matching as a way to assess students? Matching isn't used very often on standardized tests, but I have seen them used in the classroom and they can be useful for low complexity knowledge items like terms and definitions. If you choose to use matching as an item type for your assessments, there are also a few good guidelines to follow. First of all, make sure that your two lists that need to be matched are similar types of items. I'll use the word homogenous to explain this. If you have students match a list of cell cycle phases with a list of what the cell is doing in each phase, the two lists should be homogeneous. Don't add items in the list of cell cycle phases that aren't actual cell cycle phases. Your list could include interphase, prophase, metaphase, metaphase, anaphase, telophase, and cytokinesis. All of those are phases of the cell cycle. Those are homogenous terms. So you shouldn't include a term like binary fission, which is a type of reproduction of a single-celled organism, but not a phase of the cell cycle. Now, if your head is spinning from that example because biology isn't your forte, let's consider an elementary social studies example. Think about a list of U.S. capital cities. That's a homogenous list. You might have students match those to their state names. That would also be a homogenous list. You wouldn't want to throw dates in that first list of capital cities to be matched with a state, indicating what date the state became a union. If you did, you no longer have a homogenous list. You've got a mixture of dates and capital cities that you're trying to match to states. And that's confusing you've lost some clarity in this question set. Assessment items should never be used to intentionally confuse or trick students. And the same goes for matching. Lists should be homogenous, and the intention should be to ensure students can associate lists of homogeneous items correctly. Use the same guidelines we discussed in episode four, which were clarity, clues, and complexity when designing matching items. Now, you can up the rigor of matching items by adding in a few tactics that really make the students think. For example, if you had a list of 10 capital cities, but only eight states, and you very clearly tell your students that not all cities will be used, you've now created some additional thinking for the students. If they get to a place where they only have one or two states left, but three out of four cities left, they have to think hard to figure out which ones match correctly. You could also try this. You could instruct the students that some items can be matched more than once. Let's talk about the cell cycle example. In each phase of the cell cycle, there's more than one thing that happens. So if you listed six phases, but had 10 actions that occurred and very clearly told the students that the phases can be used more than once, you are increasing the rigor by making them associate more than one activity for some of the phases. The key in all of this is, of course, your directions. Directions on assessments should be clearly written. And for many of our students, it's also a great idea to orally read directions. Oral reading of directions helps students with disabilities, English language learners, and typical learners who just prefer to hear rather than read. This is a bit of a sidebar from assessment writing, but I think it's a good place to just remind ourselves that designing assessments so that they are accessible for all students is in your students' best interest as well as yours. Your assessment data will be higher quality when students aren't confused by the directions. So if you have matching items that are not a simple one-to-one match, It's a particularly good idea to make sure the directions for how to answer those are clear for all students. Well, that wraps up our guidelines for true, false, and matching items. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Data Savvy Teacher Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips on writing good test items. And remember, a rating on iTunes gets this podcast seen by more listeners like you. So if you like what you hear, feel free to leave a review or share this with a friend. May the data be ever in your favor.